Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Today, we are beginning a fantastic journey through the Star Trek movies. Woo woo! And that music you're hearing now is from the very movie we were talking about today. Yeah, I am not going to lie. I danced my booty off when I heard this in the movie. I was like, do 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 Literally, me too. I like jabbed my girlfriend in the arm i was like that's our theme she's like nice <laughs> i was watching it alone so i was free to uh be my wild crazy self <laughs> free to dance the the klingons dying away yes so we have been hyping up this movie series for at this point a couple episodes now in the podcast but i have been looking forward to doing this for a long long time yeah ashlyn's been hyped for far longer than you we've been hyping you (laughs) okay so i'm gonna go a little bit uh into my personal history my personal star trek and personal podcast history right now (laughs) so when i was in middle school back in seventh grade i used to take the bus to school which you know the school bus which is very you know common and the first podcast i ever discovered was called the now playing podcast and they are a movie review podcast that have been going on for so long, like 2009, which was when I started listening. And I think the Star Trek movies was the second series that they had ever done before, after Friday the 13th. You can tell I'm like a huge nerd um, <laughs> about it. But I religiously listened to those podcast reviews, specifically of the Star Trek movies, because I was just fresh into Star Trek. Rihanna and I had just started watching the original series and we had seen all the movies and I thought that their takes were so true and so awesome. And even if I disagreed with them, um, I, I, I don't know. I just, I'm like religiously obsessed with now playing podcasts. I still listen to them to this day and I just want to just have a little shout out to them at the beginning of this podcast because they have shaped who I am when I watch movies. I'm a huge movie person in general. I love critiquing movies. I love watching them. It's like one of my passions, honestly, is watching movies. And and a huge part of it is because of now playing. So honestly, listening to them talk about these movies, I always wish that I had a voice to bring my point of view to them. And so that's why I've been looking forward to this series for so long is because finally I get the chance to have my voice on these Star Trek movies. And even if it's the voice of, even if it's like a common opinion, I'm just so excited to talk about these movies and especially Rihanna because of all the groundwork that we have been building on the podcast for the past year and we know these characters so intimately and deeply (laughs) and also it's really fun because now we're back to kind of how we were a year ago where there's no theme there's 
no limits on what we can talk about except that we have to talk about the motion picture and just like with the pilot series that's what we're here to do is talk about everything from a to z about the motion picture oh ashlyn getting to hear you talk about now playing and just your experience with the star trek movies is so cool because it really reminds me of those days that I would hear you cleaning your room, listening to that podcast, and I'd pop in and listen to a little bit of it, or like, we'd just be hanging out, and you were telling me all about how hilarious these guys are, and I just, I'm really glad that you have, like, that this is something that we can fulfill in this podcast, and we intentionally waited a bit to talk about these movies for this reason, is to lay that groundwork, to get into the series first because I feel like if we talked about the movies right after the pilot you know it, it just it, it wouldn't hit the same as it is now because of all the stuff I know and all of the experiences we've had as podcasters like I think I feel like I also wanted to be more seasoned before I talked about the before I talked about these films because I'm not like a film critic or like a producer or anyone and so at least I wanted to be as formed as informed as I could on Trek before we did the movies. Oh, yeah. And I mean, Rihanna, you and I are always going to continue to expand our Trek knowledge because that's who we are. Yeah. But I, yeah, I totally agree with you. I'm so excited. And I also know that accidentally I am probably going to quote now playing. And so I'm just going to say that right now. Even to this day, if I'm feeling sad or like going through a really long drive like road trip and in that last hour i need to get home i'm without a doubt gonna put on one of those now playing star trek reviews so i know them i've heard i've heard all of them like hundreds of times so if anyone is also a diehard fan and they hear me quoting i'm i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this is i i just want to pause and say please go follow now playing they are awesome and Now I'm going to stop talking about them and we're going to move on. So Rihanna, tell us what we watched to prepare for this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we got a comedian in here as well as a podcaster. (laughs) Um, We watched the motion picture, the very first Star Trek film. And um, you know what else I did? What? I read Star Trek the motion picture, a novel by Star Trek's creator, Gene Roddenberry. (gasps) And this is my own little shout out to the Fort Mason book sale in San Francisco because that is where I found this treasure. There is no way I would have just found this book in a store. This is, it looks very rare. It looks like it's, I mean, it's got this beautiful cover that is the same as on the posters and a lovely picture of Jean on the back. And I was just astounded when I found it because I've never seen a book written by Gene Ronberry because he doesn't tend to write Star Trek books to fill in the gaps, but he did for this movie. So anyway, talk about us always wanting to expand our Star Trek knowledge. <laughs> this was a huge part of it and uh, why I had so much fun with this project. And, and I was so excited that I could use this book for the podcast because I bought that at the Fort Mason book sale like... Uh, Four, like five, five years ago? Five years ago, I was thinking. Yeah, yeah Ashlyn and I would go time. every year, and I'm pretty sure this was the first year we went. So anyway, I'm very excited to talk to you about that. But before we get to our deep dive into this movie and get even more into the movies, I want to first do our weekly shout-out. Again, we are just shouting out people left and right because we love you all. And we would like to shout-out this week 
Ractagino9 on Instagram, who posted a long time ago a picture of our episode DS9 Deep Space Ethics and a caption that says, slowly catching up to the recent episodes of this awesome podcast. Today is a real treat where they're covering the emissary. Such a retrospective journey. To call it epic doesn't do it justice. And to call Aww. that comment heartwarming doesn't do it justice. <laughs> like, I just felt so, like, cared for. No, I'm sorry. I felt so, like, proud to be a podcaster in that moment. I don't know. It just brought me a lot of joy to bring other people joy. And I'm glad that you're really Rectagino9. I'm glad that you're enjoying <laughs> our stuff. And I love your Instagram page, by the way. It's amazing. Always good Star Trek content. Yeah, man, comments like that just make me so happy because that's what we were intending was to have an epic journey. And so to even understand that even one person also agrees that it's a journey, oh, makes me so happy. <laughs> yes, oh, absolutely. So Ashlyn, would you like to talk to us a little bit about the journey that was the making of the motion picture? Well, right before we start that, Rihanna. Ooh. Okay, so... Every other podcast series that we've had, we've done some kind of cool question at the beginning. Um, last time in Villains, it was like, who would you run away with as a villain? Mm -hmm. But now, you know what? New series, new intro tradition. <laughs> <laughs> it's gotta be every new series. <laughs> I mean, and what's funny is we already just had like three bullet points that we went through, but you know what? Here's number four. Mm -hmm. Rihanna. So the first time that you ever watched the motion picture, what scenes did you come away with that you remembered? And what was your overall impression of this movie? And maybe also describe the situation that you watched it in. Okay. That's well, a lot of, a lot like of things. <laughs> yes, but like, I want to know. Yeah. It's essentially us wanting to know, like, how do we... What deep impressions left us is what I'm getting from this question, right, Ashley? Well, yeah, and also just, like, where did where did you come from? Like, when you first saw this movie, mm -hmm. um, at what time in your life was it? Because I think it's important, because, I mean, I mean, movies in general, the time that you see them in your life can really, I, I don't know, like, I feel like our listeners will understand us more mm -hmm. um, by, like, and, and it's just fun to know, like, where were you when you first saw the motion picture? Yeah. So <laughs> I was in Georgia <laughs> when I first saw the motion picture. Uh, unless I'm, I'm right, yeah, that was the first time. I don't think so. I thought we were in Colorado. And I think we watched the first couple in Denver, and then we went to spring break and finished them. I'm pretty sure, no, because I, we saw Spock dying in Georgia. I remember vividly, vivid but, devastation. Yeah, but that was the second. Yeah, I think but we I watched think the we... motion picture at home. Okay, well, here's the debate. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'm going to tell my memory of the story, and then Ashlyn will tell hers. Okay, and you yeah, can I mean, see I'm, how different they are. I'm going next, so go ahead, Rihanna. <laughs> So the first time that I saw the motion picture, I believe it was in Georgia. And I believe we were at our stepdad's grandma's house, our step-grandma's house. Dad, she's just a grandma. Basically, basically great-grandma, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we were there visiting 
their lovely family. We were having a great time and we had some downtime. And I remember mom asking us if we wanted to watch Star Trek. We had talked about it before. Mostly what I remember from this first watch of the motion picture is how long it was. I was like, kept watching the clock. I was like, man, how much of this has we, have we seen? I remember being very confused for most of the film, but I also distinctly remember the uniforms because this beigeness of it all really stuck out to me, how goofy they looked. And of course, I remember the scene that really captures me though the most is when Spock is like floating through V'ger to get to the center brain plexus and he is looking at all these flashing lights and colors and his little faces in this suit. I remember being sort of entranced by this scene. I remember being fairly young, young enough that that I didn't like the boring talking parts and I did like the sort of flashy moments that were really intriguing. And so yeah, I mostly remember Spock just floating around don't know where he was going, don't know why, don't really know <laughs> where that... And I remember just the bald lady is like what I called her for years because I did not know Ilea. I was just like, is that the movie with the bald lady? Like, literally that would be my response. So that is my memory of the motion picture. I remember going away from it feeling like, eh, okay, that's it. <laughs> Ashlyn, what about you? What was your first and most... In, what, what did you... Ugh. What was your first memory of the motion picture? Rihanna, you, this happens so often in life where I can't quite remember something and Rihanna, Rihanna's amazing brain is able to help me out. And the two of our <laughs> brains working together is really just the best because one, <laughs> our brains individually just don't do a good job, but together we are one solid person. <laughs> Anyway, so what I recall and what I've now um, remembered as you talk, mom is also someone who really contributed to my love of movies because every Friday night we were either going to Blockbuster to pick out a DVD or we were going to the movie theater to see what was out. And so we were at a movie, typical Friday night, and a trailer comes on for Star Trek 2009. And mom was freaking out. She was losing it in the, and we in the seats. And we were like, <laughs> okay, like what's happening? And she was so annoyed that we didn't know what Star Trek was. And so she said, F this, this has to end. I'm showing you all the movies right now. And this was kind of an era where she was showing us a lot of other movies that we should see in our lifetime. So I remember seeing actually Star Wars around the same time. And I remember just how terrible all the effects were, especially in A New Hope, which was just called <laughs> Star Wars at that time. So I think, honestly, A New Hope is kind of blended in with my memories of uh, watching the motion picture because it was around the same time, definitely the same month, I believe. So I recall actually seeing this in Colorado. <laughs> So I, we'll I mean, have I to we'll have to go to mom for the real answer, and we'll update you guys. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, because yeah, we were very small. Um, <laughs> I think we were like fifth and seventh grade, if not fourth and sixth grade. But anyway, yeah. um, and so <laughs> the thing I remember the most, Rihanna's absolutely right, 
is Spock floating through space in V'ger. That was the first thing that I remembered when I thought about the motion picture. And at the end, when they walk on the top of the Enterprise, because I thought that was just so cool and something that I had never seen in Star Trek before of all, because I had seen a couple of original series episodes at that point, and I just didn't think that you could walk on the hole. And I thought that scene was super cool, and I remember them merging at the end. And that's it. Couldn't tell you anything else. That's a pretty good amount, considering. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I feel kind of bad. Like, I'm not even that old, and I don't even remember what happened in middle school, but... Granted, though, like, so much is going on in middle school, it's, like, hard to remember plots of movies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well... And thank you for that memory, Ashlyn. I, I, I'm curious to know what the, <laughs> what the truth is. <laughs> um, well, so I just texted Mom, and I think she's gonna have to join us. Okay, so Rihanna... Enough uh, jumbling, rambling about our childhood. (laughs) People are like, we came here to hear about Star Trek, damn it. Yeah, okay, well, you know what? Here's the Star Trek, damn it. Rihanna, tell me how this movie starts. Talk to me. Okay, can I tell you in book form? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, and actually... Yeah, you have to tell me about the movie. Okay, okay, so here we go. I'm going to set the stage for you a little bit. Okay. Um, (laughs) Thank you. Please do. (laughs) Here's another prerequisite before we talk about the plot. And do you remember, Ashlyn, that this, that, or do you remember, listeners, that Ashlyn is our historian when it comes to behind-the-scenes Trek knowledge? And so she is just going to show off right now all her amazing knowledge she has about the film, the motion picture. Anyone who doesn't find all of this fascinating, I just don't understand. (laughs) Because I'm such a nerd. So (laughs) here's the deal. Star Trek, the original series, was canceled in 1969. So tragically. And everyone has probably heard about the letter writing campaign. So they were successfully able to renew Star Trek to have three seasons. But after that, it's over. And Gene Roddenberry, of course, did not like that. And seeing that Star Trek was doing so well in ratings on syndication, which means... Uh, They were having replays on TV and a whole new fan base was forming because even though it wasn't live, everyone loved Star Trek, (laughs) as everyone knows. And so the fan base was growing so much, there was a lot of demand for more Star Trek. Gene Roddenberry was pushing them to make a Star Trek movie and they didn't want to. They didn't want to invest that amount of money into it, but they did agree for Roddenberry to make a second TV show called Star Trek Phase 2. And they basically got the whole cast on board, except for Leonard Nimoy, which is going to be a theme throughout the movie history section. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because Leonard Nimoy wants a lot of money to be Spock because he knows that he's amazing at Spock and this is going to be like his only gig forever. And do you think also, I don't want to start drama, but do you think yeah. also it had something to do with William Shatner or were they friends at this point? Still? Oh no. I mean, so I've read uh, William Shatner's movie memories book and it's funny to read his perspective and mm-hmm. and then reading like DeForest Kelly's book and Nichelle Nichols' book. Like they all have very different opinions about this era of time. And Shatner just fell out with everyone mm-hmm. at, at different points. Like George Takei was not um, really friends with him throughout a lot of the movies. And... <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't, I, I mean, I don't know enough knowledge to recall whether like Shatner and Nimoy were on speaking terms, like at this particular moment, but I think it would make sense that Shatner had caused so much drama on set that people didn't really want to go back to that working environment, which Fair. I can totally understand. So okay, thank you, Ashlyn. Of course. Yeah. That's my best guesstimate. Um, but I, I mean, I think it couples with that. Nimoy wanted more money. He didn't want to work with people who were going to be trouble. Sure. <laughs> and <laughs> so the TV series, <laughs> this, this was a, a time where a really huge sci-fi movie came out and that was Star Wars in 1977, you might recall. And then also Close Encounters of the Third Kind had been coming out. 2001 A Space Odyssey had just come out. So we have so many, wow. so many sci-fi movies that are legendary coming out during these couple years. And so then Paramount said, I want some of this cool sci-fi dough. And they completely scrapped the TV show. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, so, and also they got a Vulcan who wasn't Spock I, a, with a different actor um, to like basically take his role as mm. a science officer. That would and not go over with the fans. Well, that was what the show was going to be. Mm-hmm. I, but yeah, so they and they also had Decker as captain. Oh. I think because William Shatner had fall, he had said, "Oh, if Nimoy's not doing it, that I'm not doing it." So the cast was very like fluctuating. Once it was announced that it was going to be a movie, everybody signed on board. They gave Leonard Nimoy the amount of money he wanted, and interestingly enough, Gene Roddenberry. So he I was, you know, his hands were fully on this project. You know, he wrote this book Rena's about to talk about. And they wanted a director who was gonna, like, absolutely gonna make them some money. And so I just want to talk about Robert Wise for a little bit. Because yeah. when I think about Robert Wise, I think about West Side Story. Mm. And I actually didn't even know he directed The Sound of Music. I feel like what? such a noob for not knowing that. What? That's crazy. I know. I was going through his uh, IMDb and I was like, I'm going to have a stroke. I did not know Robert Wise did Sound of Music. So what you're Um, saying is Robert Wise should have made this movie a musical. Well, I mean, I didn't say it, but I said it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think he was very restricted. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Rihanna, your point is hilarious because this is not a musical. And so I'm also going through, he, he did direct the Andro- Andromeda Strain, which is the oh. adaptation of the Michael Crichton book. And so I can what? kind of see how that would be like sci-fi. I mean, it literally is sci-fi, but mm-hmm. also just like it would, it would probably, it, it's similar enough to the idea with the motion picture. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and also he's, he's directed like 47 movies or something. Robert Wise was just, you know, a household name at this point. And so... On paper, I feel like this looks like a really interesting movie because of the directing choice. We got Roddenberry in the thick of it. We got the full cast. Roddenberry was fiercely, fiercely opposed to everything that's like the type of sci-fi that Star Wars was Mm. because it was all action and it was, the future was not bright. I mean, Star Wars is not about like a happy society of people. And he just hated Star Wars, absolutely. And I think this is where a lot of the rivalry happens. Like, not only do they both start with Star, LOL, yeah. um, but also Roddenberry hated it. And mm. so I don't, I don't think there's any record of like what George Lucas thinks or anything. Yeah. Um, 
or I don't know. Anyway, I'm like going on, but it's okay. I was also just gonna say that Star Wars also talks about a bright or not a bright past. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it is far. It is a long, long time ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, Roddenberry hated it, and so he literally wanted to create the opposite of Star Wars. <laughs> Which, Which and wow, that does not I sound. think he I think he succeeded though. <laughs> he did. It's funny that he wanted to create that and thought that people would like that's the sort of thing that people would be going for in this period of time right after Star Wars because I just can't imagine someone going to the theater after seeing Star Wars and then watching this and being like, "Wow, an intellectual <laughs> movie about an old thing." Like, no. <laughs> I don't think no. so. I don't think it hit the right time for no. that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Rihanna. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the writers and Robert Wise had just seen 2001 A Space Odyssey and they said, oh, like, that's good. <laughs> Ashlyn, um, I haven't seen that movie, which is like my deepest shame, but I'm sharing it with you all now. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> so could you talk a little bit about like, I don't know, how like 2001 would have influenced the motion picture? Yeah, absolutely. So 2001 is in the shortest plot summary ever it's like humanity several hundred years in the future it and space travel is totally normalized uh people just like hop on a ship to go visit their family and it's it's a kind of a trippy view of the future there's like a baby at the end (laughs) (laughs) it like a big baby Just like this child, this gigantic child. Yeah, and there's like a creepy robot. It's, I mean, it's it's fantastic. But the point I'm trying to make is like the the mood that it's set. Everything is very slow paced, mm. and uh, everyone's very enamored with the technology, which is totally <laughs> like Kirk and Scotty <laughs> in this movie. Oh, absolutely en- enamored with the technology. Um, so it's a, it's slow. But the scenes are interesting enough that you're never bored. Mm. And that is where I think some of this movie does fail. I'm already going to reveal myself. That's a good call, Ashley. (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, so that's where we are is Roddenberry hates Star Wars. He wants to make uh, a movie with no action. Literally, that's what he wanted. (laughs) And so, Rihanna, I'm wondering, in the beginning of this movie, we see that everybody is in very different places. Mm -hmm. Kirk is at the... He's at an Admiral at Starfleet Academy. Spock is on Vulcan. I don't think he's an Admiral at Starfleet Academy. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't think he ever held that position, actually. (laughs) I can't believe I said Academy. (laughs) He'd be better as a teacher, I think, than an admiral at the academy. uh, Yeah, way better. He's like, (laughs) anyway. Um, Okay, Uh, yeah, so Kirk is an admiral at Starfleet. He's been promoted. Spock is on Vulcan doing the culinar to purge all emotions. Yeah. Um, We don't see McCoy till he's (laughs) on the ship, but the rest of the crew. I know more about him. Oh, yeah, of course you do. Um, <laughs> the rest of the crew, like Chekhov, Sulu, Ahura, are on the Enterprise with Scotty, who's the chief engineer. They've completely refit it, and Captain Decker is about to take control. And so, mm, I have so many thoughts. I'm yeah, like bursting I'm with same. thoughts. Okay, so, um, okay. 
so the Enterprise that we know and love from the original series is totally different in this movie. Yes. And I think this starts a trend. It's kind of like in Doctor Who where every TARDIS has a different inside depending on the owner. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this starts a trend of the movies have to make the bridge and the Enterprise look as cool as possible. <laughs> um and they say, like, oh, it's because it's, the Enterprise is going through a refit and we're upgrading it. And so they, like, change all the panels and, you know, <laughs> completely redesign the ship. Mm-hmm. And so I am, I'm feeling really disconnected from the original series because it's not that bridge that I know and love. And everything is just white. There's not, like, all these colors anymore. And so I'm feeling really disconnected from the show. I mean... The real life answer is uh, yes, they want to like redo the Enterprise, but also these sets were for Star Trek Phase Two. What? So they did not. They they wanted to save money, and because they had already like That's they fair. were about to start filming the show, or maybe had already filmed some of the show, and they used TV sets for movies, which is like. I mean, a TV show set is a lot smaller mm-hmm. compared to a movie set because it's like a much wider screen yeah. and it's the movies. You don't want to make a big, long movie into something that's going to be like a TV episode, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I'm feeling disconnected and I am also sad that Kirk is not with the Enterprise. So it just feels like a kind of a disjointed way to start this movie off and I'm feeling very off kilter. Yeah, Ashlyn, I'm so, so glad you bring this up because I feel the same way every time I sit down to watch a new Star Trek movie because they feel the need to change the bridge or to change things enough to make you feel like the time has passed and these characters are in completely different places now. And I feel like the best way to do that is to refit the bridge, you know, as sort of a, like, device to make people feel uncomfortable and to show this is not the same Trek that you're going to be seeing from the series. And it certainly isn't because there's so much time that also passes that I think they're also maybe trying to show the passage of time through technology. Like, oh, all these systems are better. But I want to add really quick, the cutest little fact I read in this book was Mm -hmm. that Scotty spent those two and a half years that it's been since since their five-year mission he has spent refitting the Enterprise and pouring his heart and soul into this work. And he said it was the happiest times of his life when he was working on the Enterprise. So honestly, it makes me feel better to think that Scotty treasures each ship that like is, even though it feels new and terrible to us, he treasures it. (laughs) No, and that actually makes me feel so much better. I do think they try to convey that throughout the movie because Scotty is always going to be an anchor point. (laughs) Yes. You know, to the ship. There were several times where Scotty was talking to Kirk about like, oh, this hatch doesn't work or whatever. (laughs) And of course he's furious that, well, we're going to get to it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm like, no, you're okay. (laughs) I just, I know the feeling because I want to just like go in. I know. I want to more groundwork i know i want to talk about every single second um but yeah you do see scotty i mean he's you can tell he's so passionate about Mm -hmm. everything that's going on and so he's furious of course when uh, it turns out that the enterprise is the only ship in the quadrant (laughs) yeah he's like and they have to leave space dock because it's not ready his precious child isn't space ready so yes Rihanna, i have a question for you yes 
Do you think that jumping, because what they did essentially is like they're starting 10 years Mm -hmm. after both in Star Trek time and in real time. These actors have all aged for 10 years. And so do you think that it would have been more satisfying to see them still on their five-year mission? Do you think it's wise that they jumped Mm -hmm. this far into the future? What what do you think about the starting point? Yeah, I mean... Plot-wise, I feel like it can be really dicey because this plot could have easily been an episode of the original series, in my opinion, and would have been way better because of just the nature of how movies sort of translate over to, like, shorter timelines. I just feel like this plot itself could have fit way better into a smaller time allotted (laughs) for the episode. But... I feel like as far as the aging goes, obviously there's nothing they can do with the actors, but plot-wise, I just, I hate it. Like, I have to admit that, like, I really hate time skips. They're probably, like, my least favorite plot device in, like, any sort of version of a plot device because it throws me off so much. And, like, it's honestly, I've read, like, some interesting articles about people who get disinterested in shows once they like change too much you know like if there's a big time ship time Mm -hmm. skip or whatever but because it's the movies like I have to give it that allowance and I can easily sink into it be like okay this is now our current time but if there's too much of that you know I don't know especially in the beginning I just don't like it because I get this sort of nostalgia but it's crooked and I just hate that because I want it to feel either completely like old Trek or just like I don't know what the solution would be though because I just don't like it but yeah (laughs) there's my rant how do you feel (laughs) well and I mean it's like what you alluded to earlier you're supposed to feel uncomfortable yeah because I think they're trying to make a new like forge a new path for themselves as a Mm -hmm. series and you can't go anywhere if you just go backwards you know absolutely so I respect it. But I also love what you said about how this could have been an episode on the original show. And I think that they were leaning into that. I mean, the whole intro was very episodic. Yeah. That's how TOS started was you have Mm -hmm. the theme playing. And also, I want to know, this is the Next Generation theme. I know. I got so excited when I heard it. But I remember being really mad when I first saw this and heard that theme. I was like, hey, like that's not the right one. Where's the original theme? Yeah, I know. But Jerry Goldsmith sprinkles that do-do-do-do-do-do-do into like a thousand different (laughs) motifs during the movie. So Really? I didn't notice. Oh my, that's all I could hear. I mean, I'm very like music focused. (laughs) Music major. I have a lot to say about the soundtrack actually. Oh good, yeah. But I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're totally treating it like an episode Mm -hmm. because they have the intro at the beginning, they have all the credits, and then it begins. Yeah. So I think let's talk a tiny bit about this first scene and then I can sort of set up where Kirk is at in the beginning of the book. Because this beginning of this movie is not how I would have guessed it to start like at all (laughs) with just these Klingons being absolutely obliterated by this mysterious cloud yeah well I also I mean to continue with the alienization literally Mm -hmm. haha um we also don't know anyone in the scene but the Klingons are iconic and so everyone knows like uh oh here's the Klingons (laughs) well was this the first look at the new Klingon look like with the ridges yes Uh, And this is what they end up using for Next Generation. So Mm -hmm. this is, of course, the triple plague has occurred (laughs) on Kronos, and their forehead ridges have been altered. Yep, yep, you're right. 
I just like that there is a little bit of next generation already being influenced by this because of the theme and the Klingons. Like it's kind of cool. When like when was I mean Next Gen was coming out pretty soon, right? Or how mm. long after? No. It was nine years later. Oh, wow. So nine years? So that means that they just really grabbed it from then the movies, grabbed the theme for TNG. Well, actually, Roddenberry liked it so much, he wanted to use it for the next generation. Oh, wow, perfect. Everybody loves this theme from the first movie. And so when they were trying to figure out what to do for next generation, they were like, absolutely, the motion picture. I mean, it slaps, so I'm not surprised. (laughs) It does slap. It's one of the more uplifting themes for sure or like more upbeat i should say (laughs) yeah these klingons have appeared and they immediately get destroyed which i think does show the threat because obviously we know klingons to be a very battle heavy race even just from what we get from the original series from them and so to see them get knocked out like that three battle cruisers katanga class like that's crazy (laughs) so I think that's a really smart place to start because it does set the stakes immediately, which is classic trick. I have a confession. What? So honestly, this first scene was really confusing to me Uh (laughs) because understandably, there like V'ger is not really a ship. Like it doesn't have like solid lines, (laughs) and so to me, I honestly couldn't tell. Is this the forebears of Star Trek two thousand nine? Is this a lightning storm in space (laughs) that is knocking out these Klingons? I was just confused. I feel like it was really dark. (laughs) I don't know anyone in these ships. And so I, (laughs) once, you know, it shows the Starfleet command and they're talking to each other. Like, I was thinking them kind of like weathermen. They're like, oh, like, and over in this quadrant, we have this anomaly going on. And then over here, we have this. But during that scene, I was able to remember, like, of course, this is V'ger who's attacking the Klingons. But I really did not know what was happening. Yeah. Well, and just to clarify, because I'm going to be this annoying person the whole time. Yeah, yeah so I think the Klingons they attack are close to the station Epsilon 9. Mm-hmm. And so I think those are the people who are like yeah, talking that's to them. the... Yeah. Thank you. So, I'm glad to know their name. <laughs> yeah, Epsilon 9. And I actually know some of the character names, but, you know, they die so quickly. <laughs> the, oh, yeah, I mean, the body count in this movie is not as bad as some of them, but... <laughs> Yeah, not great. Anyway. Yeah, that's so true. I think with the cloud, too, like, it is hard to not see a discernible ship. And I think that's maybe what they were going for to build that suspense of, like, ooh, a cloud got him. But the effects aren't very good. So, like, it's hard to tell what is going on in this part. I I think that really threw me, too. And I also want to note that the first time we saw this, Rihanna, it wasn't on VHS, but it was like the first DVD version (laughs) of Star Trek. And the one that I watched was just, I think both of us on Paramount. And so that one has actually been redone by Robert Wise in 2001. And so we're not even seeing the exact original copy. I wish, I think you would only have if you had a DVD of it from like with the original cut before 2001. This movie was even longer. Wow. Yeah, okay, good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I, oh my god. So can I, I want to talk a little bit about this book. So I was, like, so curious. I did a tiny bit of research about this book that Gene Roddenberry wrote. And according to StarTrek.com, thank you for all of this work you do with StarTrek.com. Ah, they work so hard. Right? They said that this is the only Star Trek novel written by Gene Roddenberry, and this is 
based on the screenplay and the story. So Roddenberry wrote this the same year that the movie came out. And so this was also the first Star Trek novel published by Pocket Books. So anyway, and Pocket Books then continued to publish Star Trek novels for like ever. (laughs) So I just love that they have a little lovely symbiosis going on here. That's great. Roddenberry and Pocket Books. So anyway, he wrote this sort of as a response, it appears, because it's based on the screenplay, which is just baffling to me. So he read it, and then he's like, actually, I'm going to write something. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it can't become movie form, I'll write it in the book. And yes, the lines and the dialogue is virtually the same. And so reading those scenes that are heavy dialogue, I'm like, yeah, I just watched that, (laughs) Uh, which is interesting. But we just get a deeper insight into all of their sort of psyches as we go through this journey. And like Ashlyn said earlier, on paper, this movie is a great idea. And I agree, on paper, this movie is very good. <laughs> like, I really enjoyed Roddenberry's version because it's also the only Star Trek book he's ever written. And so, which is just wild because he does have a very nice prose writing. He's a very good writer. So I was like, what? This is crazy. Brianna, is what? this Roddenberry fan fiction? Absolutely. So, I 100%. mean, 100%. Because, <laughs> not, I mean, Star Trek fan fiction was started by like housewives yeah. who were watching Star Trek all day on syndication. True. And, like, that's really like the, the mothers of fan fiction. Yes. Is because everyone thought Kirk and Spock was gay. Yeah. <laughs> Which exactly. they're husbands. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so I'm just saying that Roddenberry embraced the tradition of fan fiction and paved Which... the way. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, it makes sense, you know? (laughs) I was very glad to read it with this because I want to talk a little bit about the scene that we first see with Spock and Kulinar. Oh, yes, please. Yes. Um, My girlfriend's watching this movie with me and she sees the back of Spock's head and I have like a Spock background right now (laughs) on my phone. Um, And she's like, is that Spock? She's like, I really hope that's not Spock. And he turns around and he's all shaggy and like in his (laughs) robes and she's like, no! (laughs) what is he doing and so i thought that's hilarious this is the first look we get at spock okay i'm just gonna add it to our list another method of alienating the audience true (laughs) ashlyn because spock is in this crazy (laughs) wig like really crazy he he just looks like time has passed are you like going through it channeling cyborg vibes like what is going on here spock except it's opposite cyborg vibes which (laughs) You know, Cyborg, Rihanna, we have like five weeks to get to. (laughs) And also, I just want to say that, I mean, this movie is unraveling itself and we're getting to see more and more people that we know as we go on. And each time we get a little taste of, oh, hey, like, here's the crew. How nice. Yeah, here's the where are they now segment. Yeah, here's the where are they now. And then finally, our reward is a big juicy scene with Spock on Vulcan. (laughs) Oh, yes. Now, I think he comes first, right? Yeah. Yeah, which is great. I love they start off with this movie. Yes. Yeah, so Spock is about to take the Kulinar, as Ashlyn explained in the beginning. And I found this scene to be way more abrasive in the movie than the way Roddenberry was like trying to describe it in the book because in the book we get into Spock's mind and so we hear him hearing V'ger for the first time Mm -hmm. and being very shocked or he had like felt V'ger's presence that morning and then he went to go take the Kolinar that that day bad timing for the Kolinar but actually good (laughs) timing if we think about it he's like literally about to meet with the bastards of goal and he's taking this ceremony and they're supposed to initiate the mind meld and everything 
and they seem really abrasive in the movie. They just, like, drop the necklace and, like, get out of there <laughs> in, like, sassy Vulcan style, which I was like, I love this. But yeah. in the book, they're very much, like, Tasai, who is the leader of, like, the Kolinar. She's, like, the high leader or whatever. She says, your answer lies elsewhere. Essentially, she understands when they meld that, like, this is not where Spock belongs right now because she's sensing all of these emotions he's having about Kirk because he's thinking about him for, like, his last time with an emotional connection before he takes the Kolinar. And he's also, mind you, been studying for two and a half years to take the Kolinar. Oh, oh and my so God. literally, like, this is just Spock. so in Spock fashion or, like, he just decides on a whim at the very end not to do this. And, like, obviously they reject him here for the Kolinar, but he comes to this conclusion himself and thinking, like, even right before he takes the Kolinar, he's thinking to himself, what if there is utility in my human side? And then he's like, no, it's just terrible. And so he's like, I'm ready to get rid of it. Except he thinks about Kirk. And so anyway, it's just really oh, crazy. Oh my god. <laughs> and Gene Ronberry even made a footnote that essentially said, like, they're not lovers. And I was like, yes, they are, Gene. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so... We see a lot of this turmoil coming from Spock. Of course, the presence of V'ger is a huge part of that because it's just like invading his mind, but it's this, it, but it's also this ultimately purely logical source. And he's so enamored by it that he's like, I have to go check this out. Like, I, I don't care if the colon are, if I complete it or not. He also, this is the other case, is that in the book, he describes that Spock also felt Kirk's distress or stress about the situation because Kirk okay. gets this whole like imp it's hard to explain but like essentially Kirk has an implant that Starfleet put in to like have alert messages and apparently all Starfleet officers that are like high captains or admirals have this <laughs> implant thing. What? This is Gene Lore we're just learning Gene about. Lore. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Gene Lore is crazy because he just goes out of pocket and he just says these crazy stuff that I'm like okay it's canon now. Because <laughs> um, that's how Kirk gets the message about the Klingons getting wiped out. But so Diana, this message is from the creator. The creator. <laughs> Are you Viger? I think you should talk to your doctor about being Viger. <laughs> Some possible symptoms may occur. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, they have this implant. Anyway, Kirk gets really stressed about the Klingons attacking. He's like, I have to go and see if I can snatch Enterprise. And Spock is the one who senses that because apparently two very close friends often form a bond, a mental bond. They're just really close friends. They're just roommates. <laughs> um, anyway, so, yeah, that's just sort of, like, Spock's little background, what he was thinking in this Colinar scene. And it's just, of course, very difficult to do this in movie format. And I understand why a lot of this just falls short characterization-wise, because I did feel like I didn't understand why anyone was motivated to do anything in this movie besides Kirk's motivation to be on Enterprise and Decker just wanting to bang Ilya. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> anyway, these are my hot takes. I feel like Ahura, Sulu, and Chekhov, their desire is to just stay on the Enterprise. <laughs> For as long as and just so rank they up. have they have what we call a flat arc. A yes. neutral arc. <laughs> Ashlyn, I love the movie. That. How we see them is how we know them. Ashlyn, you know? that's so great. They're the only stability <laughs> in this in this world that's trying to throw us off. They are the ones who remain the same. That's actually a very good point. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, I love what you said. And Thank you. I was, you know, of course, thinking along similar lines. 
because I don't know any of these names now that you do. So I'm just going to say, like, the Vulcan lady who melded with Spock. Yeah, to sigh. Oh, thank you. (laughs) This is why two brains are better than one. Yes. Yeah, again. So to sigh has the line, this consciousness calls you from space. It touches your human blood, Spock. Mm. And I initially thought, oh, it's Kirk. It's Kirk's consciousness. (laughs) (laughs) Because, and we're going to find out later, you know, like it's so wrong to see Spock not on the Enterprise. It's where he belongs. And so I believe this whole time it was about Kirk, but it's really about V'ger. And so I love that you're saying in the book, Spock actually felt that way. Yeah, um, it was both. I mean, he it felt was Beecher, but he also felt Kirk. It also felt Kirk. And so I feel like even though I didn't read the book, I still got that vibe. That's amazing. And, I love that. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I because... could have been conditioned into thinking it because I shipped them anyway. But yeah. Also, <laughs> that helps. I think it shows, like, even if you can't think that initially, you see how lonely Kirk is and he needs Spock. Yeah, Ashlyn, I'm really glad you said that because I think it does also show the beauty of how movies can translate that into this sort of unspoken thing that books, of course, have to speak about and they have (laughs) to say it. That's their only medium. And so it's just cool to see the same work through different mediums. And lenses. Jesus. (laughs) Not enough lens flares, though, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Rihanna. (laughs) Don't even speak those words. (laughs) Um, okay, so you want to talk about Kirk now? Yeah, let's talk about Kirk. I would love to talk about Kirk. He's in Egypt in the book. <laughs> what? We find Kirk in Egypt. Oh, I don't, oh, Jesus, that's weird. Okay, what's he doing in Egypt? He is visiting the uh, Egypt Israeli Museum at Alexandria. <laughs> I'm sorry, Rihanna, real quick. I love that this has become our lecture on like, okay, tonight in Star Trek 101, we will be going over page 39 of Gene Roddenberry's masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Ashlyn, I think I should become a professor just so I can teach this class and this book at Star Trek books every year. Sounds good. (laughs) Honestly. Anyway, so to continue on with our movie and book retrospective. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This lecture will last five hours. (laughs) I hope you're driving or doing a road trip so you can have us with you for the next day. Okay, uh, um, Rihanna, why the F is Kirk in Egypt? Kirk is in Egypt because he is visiting the Egypt Israeli Museum at Alexandria. Oh, of course. Um, okay. He's on vacation leave to tour Africa's lovely old cities and has been drawn to the extraordinary exhibits. So <laughs> that's what Kirk's doing. And also, there's an editor's note here about the little implant that Kirk has to warn him about dire Starfleet situations. Uh-huh. He said that these implants were kept secret. That's why we didn't know about them until just now in this book. (laughs) Because people were concerned that the public would believe that it was some mind control device. Because apparently people were very wary after the mind control revolts of 2043 to 47. Oh no. So the mind control revolts are coming. Just so you all know. (laughs) The creator has spoken. (laughs) Yeah, anyway, back to the Kirk. (laughs) 
it's okay elon musk is already planning right now to put microchips into people so it's already going to be fulfilled so maybe the mind control revolts were earlier and we're just mind controlled to believe they were later no 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 they just haven't the technology's not good enough yet i mean it it doesn't start for 20 more years rihanna we have time actually that's not enough time (laughs) i need more (laughs) far away from that okay (laughs) but Yeah, so Kirk's in Egypt, and he's on vacation, and then that's when he sees this. He goes to Starfleet Command, and I have to note that Kirk also gets his message from a Starfleet console. There is an officer there to speak to him, and her name's Lori, and she <laughs> apparently... Lori, what was Lori doing? <laughs> <laughs> this uh, Vice Admiral Lori Siana is someone who got together with Kirk for the first few years after he took the Admiralty. So she was his transition object. He literally describes her as this sort of transition object from his pining of his Enterprise days. So he essentially huh. used her as like a comfort person and she also used him to manipulate him into mm. like abandoning his captaincy. And we also find out that McCoy adamantly, adamantly thought this was terrible that Starfleet Command was trying to manipulate Kirk into becoming an admiral because it would take him out of dangerous missions and so they could keep their symbol like for longer mm-hmm. and just sort of put him on like a shelf essentially and say okay Kirk's gonna stay here and be comfortable and we can use him to inspire everyone and that'll be good but McCoy was like this will damage him like permanently if you do this like if you take away his command and like manipulate him into becoming an admiral and McCoy resigned from Starfleet after that. He just said, I'm leaving. This is a terrible decision. And it was. Clearly, we see Kirk in a really interesting and complicated place when we meet him in this movie. And I honestly think this is one of Shatner's more calm films. <laughs> so it was easier to see sort of the Kirk coming through in this movie than in maybe some of the other ones we're going to talk about. I don't know if you agree with me, Ashlyn. Anna, okay. So I felt kind of weird watching this movie because yes. I thought Shatner looked really hot. Honestly. <gasps> Ashlyn. I know, I know. I don't even know who I am. I just, you know, he doesn't look bad. While, yeah. No, he looks good. And I mean, the character of Kirk is really attractive to me. Mm-hmm. Not William Shatner. No. But in, in, in this movie, I also know from my background knowledge that he thought that he could play a Kirk of 10 years younger. And so that's what he was trying to do. And so he was working out for the role. Gotcha. And, which is funny because now watching these Marvel movies, getting really fit for a role is yeah, like, <laughs> like essential. Level. Like yeah. you have to be on steroids and yeah. have a personal trainer yeah. and Kirk is just like Shatner's out here like going on runs it's just, it's, <laughs> a, it's amazing it's a different world um, yeah but yeah I honestly I thought he looked really good in this and I thought that this was a really close portrayal to how I really feel Kirk is Mm -hmm. because he hates this admiral position and i also thought the line so we see him he's like walking through starfleet (laughs) (laughs) and he he oh god it's so funny he meets the vulcan who's going to be a science officer and he says okay i'll meet you on the enterprise in a couple minutes you go ahead and i have a three minute meeting (laughs) i have to get to like he's like i it's literally it's only going to be three minutes i promise he knows yeah yeah (laughs) 
<laughs> and I feel like poor Kirk, that's where he's at. Is he's like, oh, I have like a dumb three minute meeting to go to. <laughs> yeah. And then that's my day. I'm going to lunch at noon, you know. Oh like, my God. Poor well, Kirk. And I found this scene. I think he was saying he has a three minute meeting with Admiral Noruga. He was like, it'll only take three minutes for me to tell him to give me Enterprise back. Oh, so he's flexing also. Yeah, I think it was yeah. a confidence of like, ah. I'm going to do this. I am desperate because literally Kirk went into a little bit of a like trance and just like came back to Starfleet Command and was like, must have Enterprise. And he like went to the Admiral's office and was like, give her back to me, essentially. <laughs> like, I'm the best for this. I've had the most experience. And he's like, but what about Captain Decker? And he's like, screw Captain Decker, essentially. And is like, no, I'm better for this mission. I think he was flexing a little. Yeah. <laughs> I think that probably he... See, Rihanna, man, I have so much more knowledge now, thanks yeah. to your answers, or thanks to Ron Berry's... Ron Berry's um, texts. <laughs> AKA, thanks to the creator's texts <laughs> that we're unpicking here. This is Star Trek and the Sacred Texts. Yes. <laughs> I think that Kirk has probably been thinking for a long time that he needs to get out, but that's a hard conversation to have, and... Honestly, he's probably getting great benefits. I think it's probably something that he's considered but has never thought about actually asking for. And so when an opportunity like this hits where the earth is in danger and it's a really risky situation, he'd much rather be out. I mean, we know because he always beams down as the captain. Yeah. This is who Kirk is. Like, mm -hmm. you're not supposed to beam down as the captain because you could die a lot more easily. Absolutely. But that's not how Kirk rolls literally. literally his Kirk role should be on a strange planet covered in dirt it should not be at starfleet yeah so. he literally says at one point or like thinks at one point that like earth is a nice place to go back to but it's not a place i would ever want to stay so, yeah. so he's not happy here. And yeah. thanks to your insight, I mean, I think movie-wise, like just purely from the movie, he seems kind of like a jerk to me. Absolutely. Because this background is not shown at all. And it really just seems like entitlement. Oh, I used to captain the ship, and so I'm taking command because I deserve it. Yeah. Well, and you know, this, even reading Kirk's insights, I felt similarly reading this book because mm. I think Roddenberry of course writes Kirk well he writes him the best and he did feel very much like Shatner portrayed him in this where he's just a mean guy he's just awful to Decker at least when I was reading it I could feel a lot of that internally he was like stressed but it is interesting because we do tend to judge people so much just on like what's on the surface and what's going on anyway. And of course it's going to be like that in movies, unless we get like a somber look away and hear their thoughts. Like otherwise mm -hmm. you know, it has to be portrayed in this certain way. And I think they did that so well in the film because it sucks. Like I hate it at first because it's just like, oh, Kirk is like not making any allowances for anyone. Another alienization. Oh yes, here God. it is. Like number six. Um, yeah. And so... Ooh, it's brutal. It's brutal to feel very off kilter in this first part, particularly with how he treats Decker. Like, and I honestly like Decker. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job of inducing him as a character because he seems like a very competent ship's captain, and he's someone who is so excited to prove himself. 
And so, I mean, this is going to be the Enterprise's first mission, and he's been looking forward to this for a long time. And when Kirk takes over and is kind of a jerk to him, I'm just so curious what the writers were thinking because it just makes Kirk... I mean, Kirk is a jerk. We've seen it in the animated series. And it's becoming real. Like, he's so rude to Decker. I don't know. Like, were they thinking, oh, the audience is going to love Kirk so much that they're going to love him being rude? I literally think that is correct. Or they're going to love him being very vulnerable and in a different place like i don't know they're gonna be like oh this we're gonna introduce a whole new side of kirk and i'm like but why he was good as he was (laughs) like but i think it does show how much these years have killed him a little inside you know and nostalgia bias in general is really heavy in this film or at least what they're trying to push and i think i fell into that trap much better when i was a kid like watching this movie rihanna i was just gonna say this yes Yes, yeah. say what I was going to say. <laughs> well, I just hated Decker. I thought he was so annoying. You know, I just called Ilya the bald lady, which, like, is not not respectful to um, the amazing character Ilya is that I now know, <laughs> you know. But, like, I was just so against them because they weren't my favorite characters or they weren't who I was inclined to like. And so, yeah, I was like, Kirk has a right, like, get him back to the Enterprise. Like, nothing's the same. I want to feel like it's how it was. And so I feel like that's exactly what they were playing off of. Rihanna, I could, man, I'm so glad you said it instead of me. What? You said it beautifully. That's exactly how I feel, too. Like, when I was a kid, I was like, F Decker, he's the worst. (laughs) But now that I'm older and I have, like, worked in situations where power struggles occur that's tough and so i really respect decker for what he's going through but i think also i mean in my heart of course i want kirk to be captain of the enterprise but i want him to do it in a nice way i don't know it could have been done so much better yeah it's just super awkward too when scotty's sitting there already knows that decker's not captain anymore (laughs) because this is how we first meet decker is in engineering and He's just, like, got his head of an engine, like, fixing it and, like, really hands-on. So it shows you right away, like, he's Mm. in the thick of everything with Scotty, helping repair the ship and getting it ready in time for this crisis, which they first had 20 hours for, and now they have... 14. Wait, that's oh. so wrong. That's Someone's like going to come wrong. after you, Rihanna. They're I really think they're going to look at the robbery text <laughs> and see my fault. <laughs> anyway, we see Decker as this very impressionable captain. And Ashlyn, I love what you said about him because even the actor kind of reminds me of like a young Shatner and a young Kirk, sort of how. Yes, they're trying to do yeah. that. Walking books, man. Yeah. Kirk really saw that when he's thinking about it. He's like, oh my God, he is so young and eager. Like, who is ever that young? He's looking around at all the incense and thinking, like, they're so young these days. I'm like, Kirk, that was you. And he was like, yeah, I guess if I would have been in that position, I would have been mad too. I'm like, yeah, if someone tried to take the Enterprise away from you, you would have fought tooth and nail. And so Decker took it very, very well because no one likes an admiral taking over your ship. Come on. No, I was going to say, so he is the typical admiral that we hate. (gasps) Is he Jellico? Yeah. Oh, God, he's not Jellico. He's not. But I just think, like, being an admiral turned you into someone you don't want to be. Like, sometimes it's not worth the promotion. No one wants to be Jellico. So, Rihanna, and you bring up something that is going to actually be essential to the rest of these movies is that Kirk versus aging Mm. is a huge theme for him. And he is not dealing well with 
having to face different types of realities because he's stuck in the past. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Ashlyn, that's anyway, so true. That's just a preview into the next couple movies. I hope yeah. everyone's ready for that journey. It's a tough one. But it's interesting that we start to see it now and the Admiralty is just not good for him. The thing it is good for is watching the Enterprise for eight minutes. Eight minutes. While you come on board. I, I know we already, we kind of skipped past the scene, but I just cannot ignore yeah. how long these scenes are. <laughs> Looking at the oh ship. Oh my God. You know they're just <laughs> filling in time. Like. <laughs> okay, but so I think this is probably Robert Wise trying to show these people are enamored with the technology oh yeah that's true yes this is very like close encounters mm. 2001 i feel like if we cut all of these scenes out because this isn't the only one that lasts a super long time no not at all the effects are not good enough for it to be interesting for that long like yeah. <laughs> we're gonna see so many scenes at the end of the movie of V'ger like flashing Christmas lights. Oh my god. For yeah. like 10 minutes, and that's supposed to like portray some emotion, but I don't know. I just feel like chop them up, you know? Yes. It could have been half that time. And it could have been, been half the great. time. Yeah. I love the Enterprise too. And I, for the first like minute, I was really enjoying that scene. And especially because how Kirk and Scotty, like they both have to act so like, wow, this is great. Yeah. The and they're whole smiling. Time. Yeah. And a green like, screen, you know. Yes. Yeah, sm- <laughs> then they're laughing and chuckling to each other. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I, I, that scene is is amazing and it's so obviously not real. <laughs> I yeah. just, I adore it. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Can we talk about the tragedy? Oh, this was sad. <laughs> yeah. Can I add a fact that'll make it more sad? Yeah. Oh, no. So yeah. you know that there's two people getting beamed up? Yeah. The second one was Lori, the one that begged Kirk for his first two years. <laughs> an old lover, an old flame of Kirk dies in that transporter accident oh along god. with Sonak the Vulcan. Oh my god. <laughs> what? No. And what came back didn't last long, thankfully. Just okay. this whole thing is god. awful. I cannot okay. get over it. I think she was going to be in phase two. Really? Yeah. I don't know for sure, but the whole reason that they had another Vulcan was because Nimoy wasn't going to sign up for Star Trek phase two. And so when they quickly converted this into a movie, Nimoy did take a little longer than the rest of the cast to join. And so they were worried and said, well, let's just go ahead without Nimoy and we'll see what happens. And so they casted the Vulcan and they had him shoot several scenes. And uh, then Nimoy changed his mind and said, I'm going to come back. And so they had to reshoot <laughs> this transporter scene to kill. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me <laughs> that this guy thought he was going to replace Spock yes. and then he got shafted. Yes, he got shattered. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's awful. I really thought it was just used as a plot device to make sure that the token Vulcan science officer had to be, like, replaced by Spock. But then I was like, well, who's the other person on the transporter? Because they'd never talk about her until I knew Lori. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they didn't just, like, reshoot all the scenes with him in there. But, yeah. you know, they don't have a lot of money. <laughs> it's true, and we only saw him once. So. <laughs> the actor got paid, you know. That's so good. That's, that's, what, that's matters. what he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, yeah. Wow. it's just but that, awful. L- that love tea about Kirk's flame, like, whoa. I, yeah, I, love I tea. Really, mm. It's strong. 
I made it strong today. Yeah, because also, it's just amazing and very sad that the only scene that we see Janice Rand in, who was a yeoman in the original series, is the scene when the transporter <laughs> horrific accident happens. Yeah, it makes it look like it's her fault. Yeah, and like, in the book, too. That's the only time we see her, and she's so shaken up, and it's just awful. I'm like, too much terrible things happen to Janice Rand, and she needs to get a better storyline. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, Rihanna, I just, I want to emphasize the fact that there was this tragedy, and it was terrible. And so in the next scene, it starts by someone telling Kirk, oh, there's someone who's refusing to beam up from Starfleet because they want to take a shuttle. And Kirk <laughs> laughs, and Kirk's like, I know who that is. And then McCoy beams in because Kirk meets him in the transporter pad, and Kirk is joking around with him about how much he hates the transporter. But guys, <laughs> I'm just saying, we saw two people murdered. <laughs> yes, like not a mere... Five minutes previous. No, in the it movie was time. literally back to back in the scenes. <laughs> like what? Like another this is way a, to a murder. I mean, <laughs> another way to isolate us, I guess. I oh my god, to isolate I, McCoy. He gets to, really. <laughs> I just feel so bad for McCoy because he's terrified of transporters. He hears that the Vulcan ahead of him <laughs> <laughs> died. <laughs> Oh, like, no one in the right mind would be going on this transporter right now, you know? <laughs> yeah, I they did like... not show passage of time at all when this thing was fixed. Like, they no. went right to it. Yeah, I think they would have to do a couple of tests before they allowed human oh, you transport. Betcha. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Test some cargo first. Oh, my oh, God. Geez. Yeah, I just that thought that hilarious. was... I thought that was crazy. <laughs> it was like, McCoy is the most sane person in this scene, and <sighs> he has a crazy beard and medallion. Yeah, he came straight from the 70s. Straight from the disco. <laughs> disco. <laughs> Literally, you're so right. And he was jamming the night away. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I feel like McCoy, too, he's wearing this, like, V-neck. It's like... Oh, my God. I hate to use this term, but when I, I feel like the whole movie, McCoy is like... If I have to come back into space, I at least want to wear the slutty uniform. Because, like, literally, why else are you wearing it down to the V? Brianna, he was at the disco. <laughs> I have to emphasize to you that he was literally at a disco. Someone was like, gotta beam up, Leonard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he was, like, about to go to the bathroom, and someone beamed him up. And, and he's he like, was... I resigned. Yeah. Yeah, but like... he was on, what, reserve Kirk is just like, oh, I did it, Bones. It's my yeah, fault. Literally, because he said that he needed Bones. He knows he will not, like, psychologically get through this mission without McCoy by his side. Because they're, like, okay. BFF since the Academy. Yeah, and Rihanna, you bring up a good point. Because I was kind I mean, I'm a McCoy diehard fan. Yeah. Diehard McCoy. But I was wondering myself, what's the point of bringing a different doctor on board for this mm. mission? Because... In my opinion, if you're a chief medical officer, you are at the top of your game and one is equivalent to the other, mm -hmm. you know? And so if I have like Dr. Chapel, Chapel's an MD now, no. um, <laughs> as McCoy says. Um, and so like we have someone as efficient as Chapel, whom we know trained under McCoy. Yeah. The only possible reason why you would want to bring a different doctor on board is because you emotionally rely on them. Like he's also kind of Kirk's therapist. Yeah. McCoy is. I mean, you know that he's trained for psychological yeah. purposes too. So like literally. And they're friends, yeah. which is like, hmm. 
<laughs> they sometimes, yeah. Like Tro- Troy's friends with everyone too. True. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This is so interesting to me, particularly with McCoy, because of this whole history in the Ron Veritex about. Oh man. Him like <laughs> here we go. You know. I mean, we get like just like I said earlier, McCoy leaving the service, and then we also see that McCoy and Chapel get this scene to themselves or they get this scene <laughs> not like that <laughs> McCoy and Chapel have this moment in the book where they're just discussing like he's pretty much like you're an MD now <laughs> and all of this stuff and Chapel mentions that now they have like these new heart monitors or whatever where they're like attached to all of the uniforms and so she can see how people are doing as they're on the job or whatever and so she says that in Kirk ever since he showed up they've been scanning and taking notes and stuff about his health and they noticed that his body symptoms were similar to withdrawal symptoms and so we find out this is like a chemical problem that Kirk was going through he was like having physical withdrawal symptoms from being away from the Enterprise and from space that's a whole new level I didn't even realize a level of depth and something that like could have been a really interesting scene if they added it to make this character even deeper and to show that like McCoy needs to be there yeah because he advocated for him this whole time too like he knew that this was going to be damaging anyway it's crazy well and if McCoy was going to be drafted as he says back into the service I think he would do it for Kirk like that's the only person he would do it for absolutely the best part about all of this is that none of them even know that Spock is coming (laughs) right that is the best shock of the whole thing yeah oh like okay Okay, so they, which again, I'm so confused. Every scene that happens in space, I have no idea what's going on. Like, (laughs) her is like, oh, there's someone beaming aboard. Like, a shuttle's coming, Captain. And Kirk is like, alrighty. (laughs) And Spock comes out of the shuttle. And so, I don't know. I'm just, like, terrible at keeping track of names. And I feel like they do not do a good job of, like, repeating one name throughout. Not at all. Not at all. I have no idea what's happening. Well, and... Even when I'm reading this, there's just a shuttle that appears, so it's not clear. (laughs) I cannot offer any insight (laughs) into this just weird plot that Roddenberry, he's like, you know what, let's just add Spock right now, and he just dropped him in. Well, and I love it because, again, my theory in the beginning was that Kirk was the consciousness calling Spock from space, and so it's really crazy, because how they explain it in the movie is that it's just a coincidence that Spock says, I need to go to V'ger, is because he's like already melded with V'ger or whatever. And the only ship that could possibly get to V'ger is the Enterprise. And so I feel like this is the second instance of destiny we have in Star Trek. And the first being that Kirk and Spock were united in the first place. And so yes. now they are reunited after all this time apart based off of randomness. <laughs> oh, it's the best love story ever written. I know. It's really amazing. And... <laughs> And honestly, I feel like when Spock is first on the ship, he is cold as ice. Oh, God. Okay, this is a lot, right? It's awful almost to see. Another show of time, another... I want to keep saying annihilation. (laughs) (laughs) Annihilation of my feelings, maybe, but like... Alienation. Alienation. Yeah, it's awful. It's truly terrible because like, I'm used to sort of the coy, jokey 
of course serious and professional but very colloquial Spock and this is Spock fresh out of Vulcan fresh almost took the Kolinar trying desperately not to feel anything even though he psyched to meet this alien probe and also psyched to see all his friends again (laughs) yeah I mean to his credit he had been training for like two and a half years right yeah so it's not easy to snap yourself out of that And I think especially because he was even more troubled because he couldn't even pass the Kolinar. And so I think he's feeling shame and guilt from that. And it's just hard because like, obviously he's been trying so hard to push down these human emotions and he's seeking the one thing that can, or he thinks he wants to know how this entity is so ultimately logical. Well, and Spock is so lost at this time in his life because he says, I can't pass Kolinar. Like, I don't know if I really belong at Starfleet. And so what do I do? And so he meets this being that is also at a point in it's like becoming sentient where mm-hmm. it's wondering, well, what's my purpose? I have to go ask my creator. Yeah. And that's exactly what Spock is doing. And so on this like molecule, we're like going very deeply into yeah. it. This is very interesting. Mm-hmm. For me watching the movie, I'm not getting like this amount of depth from it. Absolutely. You know, I'm just like, oh, Spock is really feeling the vibes. <laughs> like, you know, I'm like, yeah. okay, he really... Yeah, he's going through a change. He's like ignoring people and he's just way more abrasive and just cold than even usual Spock. (laughs) Honestly, the story, the most interesting part of it is Spock with V'ger and their connection that they have. And so I almost feel like this should be like not the motion picture. It should be Spock and V'ger. Yeah, Spock and V'ger or (laughs) searching for V'ger, you know? (laughs) Yeah, search for V'ger. Spock searches for (laughs) V'ger. Yes, that's the new title. (laughs) Oh, I just want to say another bone for Decker that really sucked is that Kirk reduced him to being commander. Yeah. So not only, and, and Kirk is like, oh, it's temporary, don't worry. But I feel like on other missions, it's acceptable to have two captains on board or an admiral and a captain because that's just like how it works and so to degrade him by taking away his rank and then he even has a a scene after that where he has to correct someone by saying no i'm commander now (laughs) it's like so disappointing (laughs) especially because he knows enterprise inside and out and kirk knows very little about this new refit yeah kirk is like embarrassing himself this whole time because he keeps making suggestions that are just wrong wrong because he doesn't know the ship yeah and and on top of that he doesn't seem like there's a lot of respect that he has for decker and it's crazy because he recommended decker for the enterprise captaincy so that makes it even more of a betrayal that he was sort of his protege and then he's like no i'm gonna be captain and takes it right out from under him yeah man that's rude yeah and also decker's going through it because then an old love flame comes Oh, in the man. form of Ilea. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. This reminds me so much of Troy and Riker in yes. TNG. Yes. And you know why? Because Riker and Troy's relationship was based off of Decker and Ilea. <gasps> what? Yeah, it was. Ron Berry's kind of did some self plagiarism. <laughs> Just similar where like there's uh-huh. a seasoned officer and then an old flame comes aboard in a working capacity. <laughs> Hilarious. That, I had no idea. Thank you for that. Yeah. It does feel very similar 
And there's that similar sort of nostalgia and longing from the two of them that you can really tell on screen. Actually, I was just going to say, we did say this in the Love and Affection series, (gasps) so I think you just forgot. (laughs) We did say this. I remember saying this. You're right, damn. But anyway. Thank you for saying it again. (laughs) Yeah, no, I just wanted you to remember again. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And of course, our listeners who didn't hear Love and Affection. That's true, yeah. Anyway. It's very clear that there's a connection here. They're really, both actors, I think, do this really well. Oh, yeah. She's so flirty. She's so cute. At at Decker, she's like, hey. Like, she's very excited to see him. And he's very enamored. Yeah, he's happy to see her, too. Right? So this species that she is, the Delton, I don't think we've ever heard of this species outside of Ilea, have we? No, I don't think so. No. Okay, so Deltons turns out are a species who their women release pheromones oh and they did say this in the movie yeah. yeah yeah so they release pheromones and uh like they're very hard to re- resist for quote people of the opposite sex <laughs> and apparently the delton men really like release some other pheromones for the women i don't know but mm-hmm. they have very specific dating and courting process and it's because of these like pheromones that it's starfleet protocol that they announce their oath of celibacy is on the record yeah okay i thought the timing of that dialogue was really bizarre so weird because she comes on board (laughs) she says like hi i'm ilea like i'm stationed here yeah and then kirk's like hello and then she's like, I am celibate, and it's in my records. And then she goes to her station. I mean, obviously, I'm extremely, like, cutting it down. Yeah. But that's what it seems like, is she's Absolutely. talking about business. And then she's talking about her celibacy, which is, like, nobody's duty to announce on the bridge. Like, I just feel like, is this part of the Delton custom, where you just announce <laughs> your, like, sexual status? No, it's actually Starfleet Protocol. What? Okay, isn't what? that so messed up? That what? What? Yeah, because oh. Deltons have this God, and I gotta say, as much as I love Gene Roddenberry, this book was very sexist and racist. So I didn't like that <laughs> oh, <laughs> at all. No. Literally the whole time, she was called the Delton or like the woman, and she has a name, Ilya. Anyway. I just feel like she didn't get the time she deserved in this book, but we do learn a lot about her culture. And in this movie, frankly, like, she does not get enough time where we get to actually know her before oh, we know no. Ilea Probe. <laughs> yeah, before we just know V'ger. Yeah. <laughs> and all we knew was V'ger <laughs> in the end. Yeah, so it's just kind of a messed up situation here because she says that, like, her sworn oath of celibacy makes her, quote, as safe as any human female. So she kind of has to do it to, like, ward off attentions from men, which is just so horrible. There's these pheromones that, like, quote-unquote, they can't control, but I'm like, I don't know, you can also, like, not be awful about it. So it's just terrible, and I feel like it'd be really difficult to be, like, a Starfleet Delton woman, and it makes sense. Maybe we haven't heard of a lot of them because she, I think, is one of the only ones, and... Yeah, so Decker has met her because he was on, like, an internship or, like, a little, not internship, but just, like, he was stationed on Delta. He was stationed there, yeah. Yeah. They did, they threw that in as well. Yeah, he was stationed there for a while. And we get, like... On her home planet, and they ended up working together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, they work together. And then he left without saying goodbye. It's just not a good situation. They have a really sweet scene where they're actually talking about their departure. Mm -hmm. And I'm really into this relationship. Their chemistry is so good. It's a really cute scene because they end up like finishing each other's sentences. Yeah. Do you have that quote? Like, I missed you, or... (laughs) Yeah, you're like, page (laughs) (laughs) seven. Like, Romans 12. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Ilya asks, was it difficult, like, about the meeting with Kirk? And Decker says, no more than I expected. Not as difficult as seeing you has been. I'm sorry. And she says, that you left, or that you didn't say goodbye? And he says, if I'd seen you again, would you have been able to say it? She hesitates, and then she's like, no, I wouldn't have. So it's just a lovely moment where, like, they do, she does realize she has this deeper feeling for him and that it would have been impossible to say that goodbye. I mean, gosh, with all the Dalton pheromones, luckily, like, men get used to it after a while. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, I just love this conversation (laughs) with the Dalton pheromones. Like, I'm here with you. (laughs) Thank you. Men do get used to it for a while, so it wasn't like Decker was, like, um, having a lot of frustration the whole time he was there, mm-hmm. but he then started to truly fall for her, and turns out the little headband that she has was accidentally, mm-hmm. like, a, do you want to have sex with me band? <laughs> kind of oh. like the Horgon or whatever in TNG. <laughs> uh, and he was just like, it's a pretty headband. And so he gave it to her, and she was like, eee, awkward. And I think that's why he left, because he was like, oh, okay, I need to get out of here. I have to just go, because <laughs> I can't have sex with her. Because once they have sex, which is crazy that I know this, they bond, like, mentally as well. And so it's kind of like a Vulcan bonding. And so you, Yeah, I was going to say, like, a Tyla. A yeah, Thyla. exactly. It? Don't know. I wish I knew. Mm. <laughs> It's probably, like, their version of marriage or something because it's just, like, inseparable. And so Decker's like, I could not do that. Mm. So, yeah, actually very similar to Riker and Deanna in that way as well. But oh, jeez. I didn't get different. any of that. See, oh, man, yeah. Yeah, I wish we had mm. more of that because also, can I just tell the spill the other <laughs> Decker and Ilea tea? Might as well I know we're it. jumping forward, but when Ilea's the probe, they actually do do it what? before he goes to Vijer. Wow. When they're in her quarters, after he gives her the headband, she, like, remembers oh. who she is, and for a while they, like, are doing it, and then V'ger is like, hey, stop that, and then he, like, turns <laughs> her back into a probe. It's awful! <laughs> He's like, V'ger's like, I hear these weird sounds, I do not like it, the man is attacking my probe, and he's like, anyway... So, that, that was disturbing, and I just wanted to share that with all of you. <laughs> I think I just lost a year of my life yeah. <laughs> to that fact. Yeah, it was awful. Ah. So, anyway. Well, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Roddenberry, I don't know what he was smoking, but I I don't know. It was a weird scene. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Um, okay, I want to I want to talk about the scene where they gather everybody up, the whole crew into one room, which we have rarely seen before, in, especially in TOS. Like, I can't think of a time where they've really had a big conversation with the whole ship's crew. And no. so I really like this because they're starting to show that there are other people on the ship. Yes. Um, that we're supposed to care about. And <laughs> it really is an important scene because not only does Kirk have this great captain speech, 
where he unites the crew together to kind of calm them down and say, guys, I know you're nervous because the Enterprise isn't ready and this is a scary thing that's been wiping out people. Mm -hmm. But don't worry, like with me in command and with all of us working together, we're going to make it through. And I think this is an intentional scene to make the audience also feel at ease and to give us that magic again of, it's Captain Kirk and he's talking and things have a chance at maybe being as cool as they used to be. (laughs) Yes, I felt the same way. It felt like the first time I was seeing Captain Kirk again and not this like washed out admiral, you know? Literally washed out because of these outfits. Oh, Ashlyn, you're so right. (laughs) Can we just take a moment to be confused? To unpack this. (laughs) Yeah, I think, so what I was trying to think of an explanation as to like what would the inspiration be for these, I'm thinking about like a lot of, again, these sci-fi movies, Mm -hmm. like especially 2001, everybody had like, very plain clothing and I think Roddenberry's idea and probably Robert Wise or I I don't even know Mm -hmm. but one of them I think are trying to make all of these officers seem it's not about personal appearance anymore Mm -hmm. you know it's about serving science yeah like efficiency or like yeah I don't know like take away their individuality I don't know I don't know either but I see too much and I don't like it. <laughs> I don't, I, I really don't like the, like, radios in their stomachs. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, what are those big belts? They don't even, like, they don't hold it up because it's one jumpsuit, like, it's one footy outfit. <laughs> and my girlfriend was like, why do their pants go over their boots? And I could not answer her. Because uh, I have no clue. I, it's I awful. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. <laughs> I mean, they probably slided around, oh, you know? I guess, yeah. Oh. Uh, but Terrible. Ashlyn, going back to what you said about Kirk, mm-hmm. I want to read this cute little quote that he thought in the book. He said, Kirk knew that peril was always more easily faced when standing shoulder to shoulder with one's comrades. Oh, and that's why he's desperately calling for all of his friends to come back. (laughs) Yeah, and he knows that, like, if I can, like you said, make this crew at ease, and he, like, lets people go home who are too scared, Mm -hmm. he knows that, like, he is then choosing the best of the best, and he relies on them. And you see him rely on every single one of his crew members during this, more heavily so on Spock and McCoy, but on Uhura and Decker and Ilya and... I mean, everyone. Sulu gets a lot of good action. Like, you know, it's just, it's important that he creates those connections. And he does it so well. Absolutely. Yeah, he's a great captain speech in mm-hmm. that moment. So I saw a native person in that scene, yeah, which I thought was same. awesome. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. Okay, and I also just want to say, I feel like all the people who came to that meeting were like, um, this could have been on Zoom. Like, I... <laughs> I didn't really have to leave my bed for this, you know, like I could have been inspired while like still asleep. Yeah, or Um, like finishing fitting the Enterprise, they only had a couple hours. Yeah, I know, and so Kirk makes everybody stop. It's very old fashioned, you know, and I think that's something that is so unique about Kirk is that he is an old fashioned person and Mm -hmm. he wouldn't think like, oh, I'm gonna use the technology to unite the people. I'm gonna use good old fashioned human connection and get everyone together in one room and get them really excited. And also just as a movie visually, it's really cool to see everybody in one space and you really start to understand the stakes of the situation. 
Oh, that was so well said. And literally what Roddenberry wrote that Kirk was feeling like that old what? fashioned. Like he is that he was like Kirk knew that he was old fashioned and that regular ships these days wouldn't call a crew together like this, but he knew it was like important. So I'm what? that's so amazing, Ashlyn. I'm like <laughs> jaw dropped to the floor i know i was like whoa you're like freaking out over yeah, there yeah i was What's freaking happening? out silently such a good point and yeah it puts us all at ease and it gets us ready it gets us ready to receive spock it gets us ready to receive feature and like ashlyn what you said about sort of coming through human connection this is what this movie's all about you know at its core it's about that simple feeling that V'ger cannot understand and is searching for, which is like the human connection, human passion and emotions and just like touch of humans, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's why this movie, I think, is really easily misunderstood. Mm-hmm. You know, saying that, it makes me sound like <laughs> a super fan, but I will say like this most recent viewing really changed how I feel about this movie because I haven't sat down and watched it seriously in a while. I normally watch it and then I kind of half pay attention and I'm like, alrighty, well, is that like 20 minute scene over where the lights are blinking? (laughs) (laughs) Literally. And I think this viewing, I was able to kind of push through that and just appreciate that it's all about the spectacle Mm -hmm. and about setting a mood. I am really interested in how the world is being built and set up right now and we have this Kirk speech and then Spock coming into the movie is just so amazing and everyone on the bridge is so excited and, <laughs> and it's we're kind of, excited you know you could see like you know the fans are pumped <laughs> yeah exactly and we've already talked about it. like even though he's cold like mm-hmm. we're still getting Spock finally and so we have like a little bit of the tension leave when Spock arrives and then the fact that he is not quite himself you keep that tension there and so you're mm. still waiting for a resolution within the characters and so that's why Viger is so important because it's wrapped up in Spock's tension that he's feeling this whole time beautiful yeah but but again i'm back in a circle and just saying that this movie's just about spock yeah it is just about spock kirk Kirk doesn't do anything the only thing that kirk does meaningful for the rest of the movie after spock is there is go out to rescue spock (laughs) (laughs) and even then he just catches him Yeah, he doesn't even leave the vicinity of the Enterprise. No, he does not do an untethered EVA. He is completely tethered. Yeah, I agree. I think Spock is sort of the focal point of this. The fact that he gets to meld with Viger is insanely important. But also, Decker and Ilea are weirdly, like, way more center in this latter half of the movie. Like, once we get to Ilea probe times, then that's when we start to see this deeper side of Decker. Yeah, and so the way that she becomes a probe is that Veecher strikes Enterprise with some lightning when they enter the cloud. A couple of people are electrified, like Kirk (laughs) and Spock. And Chekhov gets his hand on that that first wave. And so I think that was all like scans. And then the person that Veecher liked the most was Ilea. And so it killed her and then recreated her body perfectly. So it's not actually Ilea, like it's a created being to look like Ilea. Yeah. And I think as we know in the end and it's revealed like as we go through the movie, her thought patterns were replicated so precisely 
that some of her personality begins to come out. And so that's why she is kind of half and half is she, she thinks she's human and she feels human, but she's not. She was created by V'ger. It's so fascinating to me to think that in the motion picture, we have a entity that can make synthetics as well as soon can you know i oh, mean this is better. A- way better this is about on maddox's level bruce yeah. maddox and so i think that wow like this just blows my mind to think about this probe and how perfectly she was recreated i can't believe like they took her memory like you said or memory in in grams or whatever and also at least in the book they made it prevalent that her delton pheromones and her traits from that remained the same and so they also were able to like and i'm sure that's a part of what like chemically her makeup and so reader just did all of this like mix and match and just completely recreated her and that's just an incredible amount of technology i can't imagine it's crazy and i think more and more information just is revealed about Veger as the movie goes on which i think is a good choice by robert wise it's interesting that there's a mystery element to it the whole time like in so many movies you identify what the problem is in the first third of the movie and the last two thirds are about how to solve that problem and you and you get to see them have fun we think that Veger is the villain until this twist ending well, and another remarkable thing about V'ger is just the knowledge acquisition. And I can I just say all, that I hate oh. saying V'ger a million times over again? Yes. It's super annoying. Go ahead, Ashlyn. Oh, just, it's such a tragedy because what we learn is that V'ger comes from a civilization that is extremely advanced computers and they found a lone computer wandering in space and upgraded it and gave it the means to become sentient, mostly because... It, its mission is to acquire knowledge. And so V'ger has acquired so much knowledge that it can create synthetics. And so, I don't know, like I feel like it's a big gap that nobody talks about because a lot of people pretend that this movie didn't happen. But it's absolutely important to like at least Starfleet cataloging this planet, you know? Yeah, what is this machine planet? Yeah, I would love to know more about this entire situation that Major went through. Well, and apparently, I don't know, I just briefly Googled this, so, you know, Google's not always correct, but apparently Shatner wrote a book that, like, said that the Borg was this planet that, like, V'ger was sent off to, because I was wondering a little bit, like, oh, advanced technology, but I think it's more machinery than that, so I'm like, I don't know, Shatner, I don't think it's the Borg, but it's got to be a planet that, like, could hold immense machine power i mean if it's just a machine run planet we haven't really run into much of those Mm. i can't see the borg being nice enough to any being to not assimilate it (laughs) yeah they would assimilate that tiny little like why (laughs) would they help that i don't know yeah it makes me think like it's a civilization run all maybe by one of our evil computers yeah exactly that we talked about in their villain series (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's so true Maybe Moriarty. Oh, <laughs> no, that's you know he too, would. It's too early. <laughs> yeah, it's just fascinating to hear about this little nugget of information. And V'ger is so powerful after this upgrade <laughs> and after this knowledge collection that also V'ger is starting to question itself and its own reality and like its own purpose. 
and it knows that the creator is its purpose. In this book, there was one chapter that was from V'ger's perspective, which was Whoa. hilarious. And like very, I got some really good V'ger knowledge, but apparently he, or V'ger, I guess I'm using male pronouns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> V'ger is looking for the creator because he has started to think analytically about himself and his purpose with the creator. He says, quote, nothing could exist without function or purpose. Mm. And so his logic has sort of run out as to what his purpose is. And so he's like, I must seek out someone who can tell me. But anyway, it's just fascinating to think that this upgrade got V'ger to really question its own identity and the, you know, trying to get answers from God, I guess is a pretty good place to start. Yeah, thanks, McCoy. <laughs> yeah. That's Touching totally what God. he says. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was wondering during these scenes about how long Voyager had been sentient. And so we know that Voyager was launched more than 300 years ago. And so. It makes me wonder, obviously it took a long time to get to this planet, and then all the upgrades were being added <laughs> to V'ger, Yeah. and V'ger's acquiring knowledge, and then it must have turned earthbound the moment it was like, okay, what's going on? And so throughout the whole voyage, it's just been like becoming more and more confused, and so that's why it's probably killing people to get to the creator. <laughs> yeah, and if they show any sign of attacking, like literally Epsilon 9, the station, was just scanning V'ger, and they got killed yeah. for that, you know? And so yeah. it shows just how, like the Spock desperation. Says, yeah, it's a child. It's dealing with an illogical problem logically and literally. V'ger thought that his purpose was to gather, like, all of the knowledge he could and information, so that's why he got so powerful so quickly, is because he took that literally and logically and just was like, okay, let me do it. And mm-hmm. when he would destroy planets, he's like, I'm just getting rid of the carbon infestation. And that's, you know, it's just like doesn't even realize that carbon life forms are any life forms. He's like, they're just bugs. I need to smash. Yeah, I mean, he grew up in elitist society. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, But so all of this, it makes sense because I was wondering how recently has V'ger become sentient? And so learning that it's a child is like, yeah, well, all these decisions it's making seems very childish. So yeah, so true. And Um, when McCoy's like, the child's having a tantrum. (laughs) Yes, yes. Something I just have to point out is that poor DeForest Kelly, he comes back to do this movie, mm-hmm. and then he has two scenes, oh. almost back to back, where he comes up to the bridge, he stands there, he like interacts, doesn't say a word, and then leaves at the end of the scene. <laughs> this no. happens for two scenes in the first hour where like no one even calls him up he just likes hanging out on the bridge which uh-huh. we do he, like he does this during he does US. this all the time yeah but like he doesn't even say a word he just like hangs out and watches everybody do their job <laughs> like no one's injured <laughs> he, right. why is he here <laughs> you should be getting yourself used to the new sick bay mccoy come on well i just I, thought that was funny that is so funny ashlyn and i love that when he does interact with Kirk that first time when he's being really sharp with Decker, he says, don't push, Jim. And I love that yes. because he is sort of the, like, devil and angel over Kirk's shoulder. Just like, hey, listen, you need to give your commanders the respect that they deserve and, like, the trust and everything. And know that Decker's still going to do his job and he's been saving <laughs> the Enterprise a lot. And so, yeah, I just, I love that McCoy is this counsel for him and exactly why Kirk drafted him. 
And McCoy's addition to this movie makes Kirk seem more human and less like a jerk. Like when McCoy is pointing out like, hey man, you gotta cool it, and he does, it really helps. Yeah, <laughs> and that's exactly what they do for Spock too, and that also helps. McCoy's like, you took the Colinar or whatever, and he's like, if you're referring to the Colinar, then yes. <laughs> and yeah. then they have that cute little conversation, and it's still like abrupt and still sharp, but it's getting to the the meat of what is Spock's problem in this movie. Yeah, I think that the three of them together is just always magical, Mm. and I think McCoy is overjoyed, but he never wants to show it, and I think Spock is getting there, you know, but the banter is exactly right where it was on the show, like, as if not even a day had gone by, you know? Yeah, the banter is usually on the money, like, it's so good. That consistency is helpful for us, too, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, and that's how they have their relationship is with this banter. And so it shows me that Spock is not as far gone as we think he is. (laughs) Absolutely. And we finally get to, like, see him tell us and his friends all about his feelings after he comes back from mind-melding with V'ger. I just love this scene every time I see it because it's so cheesy and it's just perfect Trek. It hits the nail on the head of, like, what I think TOS Kirk and Spock's sort of relationship is. Of course, this is very much like Spock's kind of delirious coming out of his like V'ger mind meld and he's like, I just learned so much and I'm very confused and have a lot of feelings. (laughs) But I just love this scene because it is a really good piece of acting on both their parts, even though it's cheesy because it is so quintessentially Kirk and Spock Mm -hmm. and their relationship. Spock talks about how V'ger's logical mind was lonely and cold. And he, you know, he says this simple feeling is beyond V'ger's. He's like holding Kirk's hand. And I think that this is Spock finally starting to become that self that we see in Wrath of Khan, that fully realized Spock. He was, I think, at this position in TOS, but fell back to old habits of like feeling to have to be Vulcan all the time. When you're surrounded by Vulcans all the time, it's hard. And then, you know, so he's becoming accustomed to that. And then he sees what he could become if he completely lost his humanity and he sees V'ger like this. And it just, I think, terrifies him. He realizes, I need to be more open about my human side. No, see, I took it differently. I read it as (laughs) Spock is so surprised that this being who is utterly the opposite of him came to the same conclusion. And so (laughs) I I think he's thinking, why am I so worried about this Mm -hmm. when everyone is thinking the same thing? And he's, I I feel like he's more relieved than anything. Mm, Yeah. He's like, oh my gosh, it's going to be okay. Absolutely. He's got a little smile on his face. (laughs) I mean, he's laughing. He's feeling like all the tension has finally broken for him. And he's becoming his fully realized Spock. He's like, it's okay to smile. He wasn't a while. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love this scene. So good. I just want to say, like, again, the soundtrack is amazing. I think it really helps to get through these super long scenes. I yeah. just, I'm going to keep talking about them because there are so many. So yes. I want you, <laughs> as a listener, to be reminded that there are so many long oh. scenes of just, like, looking at the inside of V'ger. There literally was a time when I was watching this where I was like, oh, they're traveling through V'ger. I think I have a couple minutes. And so I went and made myself ramen. <laughs> and I kept looking at the TV like, oh, it's still looking yeah. like a screensaver. Sounds good. <laughs> I made myself like a whole, I boiled water. I like cut up veggies. Like 
I made myself ramen, and by the time I came back, the scene was still going. What? And, yeah. I mean, all that happens during these scenes is Kirk is, like, looking intrigued. And then it flashes to Sulu, and his eyes are wide. And then it flashes to her, her and she's going, wow, look at this. You know, like, and, and that, I mean, that's half the movie. And I don't know, it's weirdly fun and terrible at the same time like for whatever reason i really enjoyed these scenes even though they did last forever (laughs) right i think this is why so many people fall asleep during this movie (laughs) you know if it's if they're just watching at home it's because these scenes go on forever and i just at some points i felt like i was never going to escape from them i'm like (laughs) i think of course they're trying to show the immense size of v'ger as well and that like this is just the tremendously large entity but come on we can get that from just seeing how little the enterprise is compared to its brain like that's that's tell enough you don't have to go that far but i think like you said if robert wise directed this he's probably used to the big score films like west side story that have this huge score in the background and there's a lot of scenes where there's just music and it's setting it up and that's also kind of a musical thing to have like a overture or like something really long you know and so maybe he was also going for that but it just like you said the effects aren't good enough for it to hold up for that long yeah i mean and and probably back then maybe it was i don't know i can't compare like other movies that came out around the same time i really love what you said about the overture feeling because that's exactly how it felt and jerry goldsmith delivered there are so many cool moments, like I mentioned in the beginning, so many motifs of like the Star Trek main theme. Wait, to the layman, what's a motif? Oh, a lay motif? No! Oh, <laughs> for, for, for the layman, what's a motif? Oh, but the lay motifs are motifs in Wagner. <laughs> You're like, oh, wait, do we need to go deeper? I'm like, I want you to go. I'm like so a sorry. <laughs> a motif. It's like a term in music where a character gets a specific set of sounds or like a melody that is played every time they're on screen. I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, oh, so like in the third Harry Potter movie, when you hear, yeah, um, that's uh, that's Peter Pettigrew, yeah. and they play that every scene that he's mentioned in or that he appears in. That's and cool. So that's an example of a motif. And so like when I say there's so many of the original Star Trek theme, like da na 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 sometimes he does it really slowly where it's like really sweeping and beautiful with strings, or sometimes he'll do it like really quickly. But the theme is being played constantly throughout the movie and especially like in moments of warmth or happiness. And I just I love it. That's um, so cool. Thank you for that music corner with Ashlyn. <laughs> oh, sure. Yep, here I am. I got, you know, this is what I imagined I would do with my music degrees. Yeah. So. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. When was when did the organ play? Sorry, when did, when the, did the organ, organ play? play? <laughs> okay. An example of this is that the organ plays at V'ger's first appearance. Oh. And it's like this really intense music and it reminds me, honestly, of when Ganon is playing the organ in Zelda. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like the organ is sometimes associated with, like, really evil things. Oh, and totally, so it's, like Dracula. It's, yeah, and so it's cool that it's, like, this unknown, like, even though it's not Phantom of the Opera, it feels like it. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> 
so yeah i just thought that was cool so just cool. shout out to joey goldsmith and i'm more honored than ever that we use his creation for our podcast True. Doo, doo, doo. yeah like for that's, everything yeah you're right yeah all across the board wow let's talk about meeting the v'ger brain the big reveal okay the grand finale do you, are we ready yeah let's do it okay cool man Am I glad that we have some history buffs in the house? <laughs> because otherwise, who's going to recognize this as Voyager? I think <laughs> this is a 300-year-old robe sent by a long-gone space agency. I'm so thankful. And I found out that this is actually a part of Academy history that you have to take, is this Voyager probe, because it's a fictional probe. Sorry to say, I maybe I'm just not smart and didn't realize this, <laughs> or, or my NASA history is not polished, but yeah, it's emanating the Voyagers 1 and 2 probes that NASA sent, but there was no Voyager 6, so this was a fictional probe that fell into like a space anomaly, I think they said a black hole, that NASA was like, we don't know where it went, and that's why, because it went all the way across the galaxy to that machine planet yeah that's really cool i mean i think voyager one is like still going and we don't know where it is either yeah Um, i also thought that voyager 6 was real (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, okay cool not just yeah so the scene that gets them to this meeting in the first place is strange because (laughs) yeah Ilea is just saying, I want the creator to respond, and she's getting really angry. And Kirk's like, well, I know what Voyager's answer is, but I'm not going to say it unless you take away these weapons. Because V'ger has put torpedoes around planet Earth. It's armed and essentially ready to wipe out all the carbon units on Earth. Mm -hmm. And so Kirk is playing the ultimate game of poker right here with V'ger. But Spock has just said it's a child. And so I think Kirk is thinking I can definitely bluff my way out of the situation. And so it actually does end up working into his favor. And this is just another reason why it's good that Kirk is on this mission, because I don't think that Decker would have been good in this type of situation. (laughs) Yeah, I think he still recognized the probe, but he wouldn't have been able to make that gamble to make those leaps. And so it does show his prowess of also just Kirk is so charming. He's done this so often in the past to sort of thwart his enemies or like thwart people into getting into his favor. And he's just so good at that. And so I saw that coming out on the screen. I was like, this is so quintessentially Kirk. Yeah. And this bargaining back and forth and Kirk is still trying to appeal to its nature, but still getting his way in the end. Yeah. And also to be honest, I kind of think that Spock is doing most of the heavy work in this situation because as good as Kirk is as a diplomat, Spock is the one literally feeding him all this info. And he's like, oh, so actually, if we go to the brain, we can also disarm the missiles (laughs) while we're there. And so Kirk's like, oh, brain blast. Yeah, (laughs) like, V'ger, if we come to your brain, we'll tell you the info. (laughs) Literally, and you see it every time because Spock pulls them aside for a sidebar and he's like, Captain, I have a and then Kirk's just like, sure, let's use it. Like, they literally have a sidebar when they're with V'ger. <laughs> like, can't V'ger here? Aren't you in his brain? If he created an android that well, it definitely would have had spectacular hearing. <laughs> so yeah. I don't know who they think they're fooling, but it's hilarious. I think it's amazing. It just cracks me up. <laughs> yeah. Also, I just thought this was the most hilarious thing because... In the movie, they don't explain why they can suddenly breathe in this V'ger climate. Why they um, come yes, out of this ship. 
Yes, they explain it, Rihanna. Did I miss it? Yeah, you did. They say that V'ger has created an atmosphere for them outside of the hull, and so it's breathable air. And because Chekhov interrupts them and is like, hey, guys, there's oxygen out there. And (laughs) Spock and Kirk are like, hey, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for doing that. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's obvious, like, what V'ger wants them to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Not beam. fine yeah whatever well and also V'ger is clever enough to have when they send down part of the Voyager codes he does not listen to the rest because he wants the creator to come to him (laughs) (laughs) and so I've got to say that we are damn lucky that Decker is very excited to be with Ilya and that he is willing to throw away not throw away he really did want this but like he's willing to sacrifice himself for this mission and just like to be with Ilya and to experience this like once in a lifetime <laughs> I don't I don't know I don't know how to finish that sentence either but it's just interesting as much as I have loved Decker and Stephen Collins's portrayal of him throughout this movie I think that this is the least convincing <laughs> line that he says is I want this as much as you want the Enterprise, I want this. I mean, I guess he really wants to bone. I, I can't I guess. I can't really understand. Or they haven't given me enough to know why he is that passionate about it when it seems like, well, Kirk pushed me over for my captaincy, so I might as well just like become a new type of being. <laughs> you know? That's just that's a it's a big leap. It's a gigantic leap, but it's a very convenient way for Kirk to keep the Enterprise, that's for sure. I mean, also, obviously, they have to get have someone. But yeah. yeah, like, completely just get rid of Decker and Ilya, similar to how they just sort of drop Savic later, you know? It's just like, okay, these characters were meant to be sort of something more, but we actually are thinking about making more movies, and so let's have them have this sort of satisfying yet bizarre <laughs> conclusion <laughs> that saves the day. And then Kirk is like, just mark them as missing. I'm like, do not do that to their families. Tell them what happened, at least. And also, there is a security officer who also gets zapped. And (laughs) he doesn't ever get any sort of like, oh man, that poor guy. He's he's dead, Jim. Yeah, not even that. He just disappears forever. Yeah, well, and again, this starts a trend that we're going to see for pretty much every movie is the companion in the movie won't last or will ever be seen again. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) You're so right, Ashlyn. I just want to call back and just say that my viewing has changed so much because the first time that I saw this... I also just hated Decker and Ilya, and I thought that they were drawing all of the attention of the movie. Mm -hmm. And I still think that that criticism stands up. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say that this time I really appreciated them more and welcomed them happily into our crew that we have because they were interesting. Yeah, maybe they drew too much screen time, but there was enough happening with Kirk and Spock and McCoy that I was entertained. Yeah, I agree. The balance was a little uneven, but yeah, they're compelling enough. I think that Persis Kambata, who plays Ilya, is just mm-hmm. really wonderful in this role and makes it feel more convincing when she's doing the Ilya probe. Like you said, she's very flirty with Decker, and I just really like her acting in this. I think it's spot on for what sort of, like, it's hard to be a probe, and she just nailed it. <laughs> 
What a compliment. I think she's going to put that on our website, Rihanna. Oh, she's not living today. Oh, <laughs> oh God. I'm sorry to say. Oh, I, I just lost it for a second. Same. I'm sorry I said that, but I had to give you the truth. <laughs> oh, that's fine. So the way that this movie ends is the same way it came, which is a lot more shots of the Enterprise. Oh, God. <laughs> Not again, please. There's so many more. And I did think that a couple of things I loved about this ending is that the jackets that they wear when they're visiting V'ger are beautiful. They look like Gorgeous. gardening jackets. <laughs> it, like something, it's like a weird brown frock. Yeah. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, what's that supposed to protect them from? Like radiation? I know. I, it's just like a little cozy jacket, I guess. It's a weird jacket. And yeah. did you see Kirk give it off to an ensign? Yes, when he came I back? did see that. I was like, he, really? He's not your coat maid? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think he's just like, I'm not wearing this ugly jacket for <laughs> one more minute when I walk on my bridge. And then McCoy and Spock end the movie in those jackets. And so it's just such a weird <laughs> way to kind of like go out with our crew is they're in these weird outfits well especially because like mccoy and of course they always have to have their sort of wrap-up discussion at the end like it's an episode yes um, and mccoy is like we witnessed a birth (laughs) you know he's like wow he's like it's been a long time since i delivered a baby (gasps) yes i love that line i think it's weird i don't know if i like it (laughs) well i hate the concept that that was a birth because i feel like uh, I I don't like it it was it was a joining maybe but I don't want to know if there's another life form running around that has a little Decker Ilea baby it's just just yeah it's just bizarre and so uh, it's just weird but I do love that Spock is now he's like yes I am now understanding my combination of logic versus human emotions just as Decker and Ilea have understood that or just as Decker and V'ger have understood that I mean, again, satisfying journey for Spock, not satisfying for anyone else. Literally, it's just pure tragedy that the last line of this movie is that away. Okay, Rihanna, I was going to say, though, so I don't like these endings where Kirk is just like, pick a star there. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. how annoying for, this, for the house. Sulu's helmet. like, can you give me a, a yeah. freaking Like, course? how long are they going to go, like, in a random direction before Kirk, like, before tells Starfleet them where to go? Catches like, up with them. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk, literally, like, <laughs> even in the book, he got a calm from uh, the Admiral on Earth who was like, all right, Kirk, bring back for a briefing. Oh and he goes, nope. <laughs> And then they just leave. Oh my god. It's a joyride. He's just <laughs> yeah. using the taxpayer's money to go joyriding. Oh my god, yeah, he's doing donuts in a starship. <laughs> yeah, oh my god. But, so despite how weird and random that is that Kirk does that, I thought that Shatner's smile as Kirk, like his genuine happiness about the situation was really charming yeah and when he does this in other movies i don't quite find it as charming (laughs) and so i just wanted to know that i love this portrayal of kirk honestly i think it's really close to what ronberry was going for and whatever vision robert wise had (laughs) for kirk i feel like everyone was kind of on the same page for this one absolutely that's so true so the last thing we see before credits roll is the quote the human adventure is just beginning Mm. and 
I feel like this quote makes me happy and sad because in the place that we are in the year 2021, I don't feel like the human adventure is just beginning. Mm. And so we're in the throes of climate change and a terrible pandemic. And I feel like humanity is not headed a good direction. Yeah. But seeing this quote made me think about the era that Roddenberry was writing in, Mm. which is like, it's 79, 78, and things seemed bad, you know, Mm -hmm. but he still has that hope for humanity. And that's what Star Trek is all about, is Mm -hmm. that hope for the future, the fight that someday we will be more evolved humans who have kindness and love for each other. And so even though right now I don't feel like the human adventure is just beginning, I can't help but feel hope at that quote. And it reminds me that in these dark times, maybe we will be better at some point and maybe things will be okay. That was so beautiful. (laughs) Thank you so I'm much. I'm sorry. For this is that. like the sad story of a millennial, but that's no. Just, that's I just think how I feel. I think it's well said and perfectly sort of encapsulates this film and like what Roddenberry's vision was. I don't know. I do like the fact that this movie ends with not this big firefight. I do like the fact that it's not Star Wars in that way. That it ends like any Trek episode would with a diplomatic solution, you know, <laughs> in its purest form. So that was really cool and like just sort of the science discovery of it and the twist that it was this Voyager probe, that was really neat for me and I think watching this again made me so hopeful for even just the future of these upcoming movies that we get to see, you know, I I always just, it got me so excited and I think that's what a movie should do, you know, and obviously watching this the first couple times, I was like, oh boy, (laughs) the first one was like this, what's the second one gonna be? But I think there was still that sort of glimmer of excitement of like, okay, but this is like now we get all of, and I'm sure when it was coming out, there was probably like separate opinions on this. Overall, I think it's just like, okay, great, we're gonna get, get to see our crew more and we're gonna get to see more of their adventures. Well, so every single Star Trek movie was made with not really an idea that there would be a sequel. The exception to that is Wrath of Khan and Search Mm, for Spock. I think that was the shortest amount of time before the next movie. But every movie that they made, they said, this is a standalone. There's going to be no more Star Trek movies after this. And this one, they would have liked to make more, but it made so much less money than Paramount was expecting Mm -hmm. that they said, well, this was a huge disaster because audiences were craving more action. And so honestly, I think the ideal way to watch this movie and to get a better understanding of what it's all about is to take some time where you know you're going to slow down for a little bit, where you have time to just enjoy it. You know, just really watch all these crazy scenes, enjoy the character dynamics between everybody, and if you fall asleep, let it happen. (laughs) There's other times to watch it. (laughs) It's okay if you fall asleep, because this movie's about slowing down. If you're looking for action, you should not watch this movie. (laughs) I think... If you're like a casual Star Trek fan, you don't even need to see this movie. (laughs) No. I think if you're looking for action, you should listen to our podcast next week. (laughs) That's going to be all about the Wrath of Khan. Yeah, I think you sleep through motion picture and (laughs) you get ready to watch Wrath of Khan. I agree. 
that's what I'm doing. But I really enjoyed the different perspective that I had watching this Mm -hmm. movie this time. I'm excited to see maybe in a couple years if I continue to like it or if I go back to not really liking it that much. And Rihanna, I know since it's only the first episode, we can't really rank yet but i'm gonna rank this as number one (laughs) nice of the of all the movies we've seen (laughs) so far (laughs) for the podcast (laughs) you know i think i would also rank this as number one it's one of one (laughs) wow that's yeah that's crazy we have the same answer (laughs) yeah wild so rihanna next week we have a lot to look forward to we actually have a special guest coming to join us to talk about the wrath of khan so so please stay tuned we are so excited to be doing this movie series and to bring you podcasts week after week that's what we're here for so keep on listening and thank you so much for going on this motion picture journey with us (laughs) thank you for listening to the dura sisters podcast please tune in next week for the second episode of our movie series where Ashton and Rihanna will discuss the Wrath of Khan. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and check to see our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek Trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social media and marketing by me, Ashlyn Gelman, and Rihanna Hurd. Editing is done by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith. And our outro, Worst Revenge, is by Aurelo Voltaire. Hey, Dura sisters. This is your mom. Just a quick message to say the way that worked, the way that uh, you all first saw the Star Trek movies is we were in Hiram, Georgia, out visiting Ivan's grandmother, and it was spring break, probably 2009. And the spring break happenings that we had scheduled were all going to be outside. And unfortunately, it was a super, super rainy week while we were there. So we were talking about different movies. I wanted to show you all of the Star Trek movies. I couldn't believe that coming from our family, you all had not seen them yet. So that's what we spent the week doing was watching Star Trek movies. And after that, you all took it to a whole different level, started watching all of the episodes, starting with the original series, of course. So that is how the movie watching occurred. Love you, ladies. Bye.